Good morning. Uh, we are going to be based this morning in the book of Hebrews, which was read to us there earlier. So if you'd like to open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 10 and I keep that open this morning. As Shane said, we're in the middle of a three-week sort of mini-series looking as we lead up to Christmas, um, what is known as the Advent time. So we sing songs like this, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, looking forward to Jesus coming. But the incredible news that we know, which I hope we all know, is that Jesus has come. We're no longer waiting. So in fact, this time of year is actually just a celebration. It's, it's looking and celebrating that Jesus has come. So this series, this mini-series for a couple of weeks, is looking at Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And more importantly, Jesus has come as our prophet, priest, and king. And what's important, I suppose, for us is that we, living in the time that we live in now, we have the benefit of having the New Testament scriptures. So we have not only the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament And we have the knowledge from that because it's revealed so clearly in the New Testament. We know that Jesus has come. The Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, he has come. The one who was to come as this ultimate mediator between us and God has come. And so we know that from looking at the New Testament. But under the Old Covenant... Um, so those who lived in Old Testament times right up to the time when Jesus came, they didn't have it as clear to them that Jesus was this Christ. So what they had was they had shadows or, or glimpses of, of who this person was going to be, who this future mediator was going to be. And they had this through, yes, through the Old Testament scriptures, which, which prophesied and spoke, but that came from particular people who God used to speak. And there was three main groups that he used, prophets, priests, and kings. And they acted or they served as types or shadows or mediators between God and his people. Their ultimate purpose, though, was pointing towards Jesus, this one that we now know has come. And so they they each had specific roles uh, that were unique to them, to their office, um, and last week we saw from Steve, he spoke to us about the prophet. And we saw how the role of the prophet, if any of you can remember from last week, was to mediate between God and his people as the one who represented God to his people, representing God to the people. And we saw ultimately Jesus, the perfect prophet, has come. He's here. And so this morning we're going to look at the role of the priest. And how the priest actually did sort of the opposite from the prophet. Essentially what the priest did was he represented the people to God. So the prophet, God to the people, the priest, the people before God. Does that make sense? Hopefully it will more as we look at it this morning. And ultimately where we're going to land is we'll see that Jesus, the perfect priest, has come. Now, I want to give this away right from the start, okay? I want to give away what my main point is, the main thing I want you to remember, because I know sometimes, unfortunately, we have a habit to zone out, okay? So I would like you to take this message right from the start and for it to be clear. I'll repeat it a few times throughout just so hopefully it sticks. And the message is this. 
Jesus Christ became the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice for sin so that God's people could once again enter his presence for eternity. Jesus Christ became the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice for sin so that we, his people, might enter the presence of God for eternity. And I don't know what you think of when you think of the word priest. Um, I'm not going to get into that in detail about what each of us thinks when we think of the word priest, but I'm sure different things come to mind. Depending on our backgrounds, culture, particularly in Ireland um, and other countries, what comes to mind when you think of priest? The reason I'm not going to get into it is I just want to make this simple point. From this morning on, I would love, my goal is that when you leave here this morning, from today on, when you think of the word priest, you would think of Jesus. Because he is the only priest that matters. He's the only one that matters as a priest for us. So that is my, my goal this morning. And so we're going to look at a comparison of the old covenant system of priesthood. Uh, we're going to compare that with the new system under Jesus. And the reason we're going to do that and the reason we're going to look in a bit of detail at the old system is not to get bogged down in it, but that it sets a foundation and it shows us why Jesus is so much better. So that's why we need to understand the old system, the old covenant uh, system of priesthood so that we can see how much better Jesus is. So like I said, our main passage in Hebrews 10, but I'm going to spend some time first in the Old Testament and then we'll come back there. We'll come back to Hebrews. So first we need to understand where priesthood came from. We need to understand where it came from, what was its purpose, and then what changed when Jesus came and what that means for us. Okay, so first of all, where did priesthood come from? Well, we have to go back to the beginning, don't we? Back to Genesis. And in Genesis, we have the creation account. And that's what we believe as Christians, that this was not just uh, poetic language. This was God actually forming the world that we live in, creating beauty and order out of chaos or out of an absence of order. So God took all of that and he created everything, everything that we see around us, the mountains, the seas, the stars, all of creation, God created. What's your, what's your favorite part of creation? Is it the mountains? Is it the seas? Is it the, the power of the wind that we saw this week during the storm? God created and he formed all of that. And after he formed and created all of that, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So let man and women rule over all that that God has created, all that he has formed. And so Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they walked and they talked and they ate and they slept in the very presence of God. You ever thought about that? They were literally there with God in the Garden of Eden. There was no separation. There was no mediator needed. They were just there with God. And then, of course, everything changed. Very early on in Genesis, very early on after God created man and and woman, what did they do? Well, they sinned against him. They chose to sin against God. And with that sin, everything changed. And separation came between God and man. And the reason for that is that a perfect God and a sinful people cannot coexist in that perfect relationship. 
in the Garden of Eden. And so they were sent out. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden, out of the presence of God. And now there's a, a risk here that I'll severely oversimplify the entire Bible, but essentially the whole message of the rest of Genesis and actually of the whole Old Testament is showing how God will restore that relationship. It's God setting out, remember Steve said last week, his story, his plan of how he will restore that relationship. The relationship that sin had destroyed. So that we might once again come close to him. Once again come into his presence. And so as God worked out that that story or that plan, that, that restoration plan, he used people as mediators between him and his people. And they were temporary people. We'll get to that later. That was the, the whole point is they were only temporary. So as God was working out what his, what his final plan would be, which is Jesus, in the meantime, he needed to use people to stand in that gap between this perfect holy God and a sinful people. And he, it says in Exodus 33, God himself says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So it was that serious. God said, it is that, your sin is that serious that if you come close to me, if you come into my presence, without me agreeing it, you will die. I am, God is so perfect, so holy. Man is so sinful and corrupt that if you were to come into God's presence, you would die. And so, if you were to look at Exodus and Leviticus, you would see the setting up of these uh, system of laws and practices that God expected his people to do. So as a temporary measure, God was setting out what it is that his people would need to do in order to live and worship him and atone for their sins in this temporary measure. And it's really detailed. If you were to read in Exodus and Leviticus, you would see how seriously God took this. The extreme detail of uh, how they were to do this. And we see the setting up of the tabernacle. It was later uh, become the temple. This place where God would come and his presence would be, but he would be screened, as it were, from the people. And so God would come and dwell, and the priests would go into this place, into the presence of God, or close to the presence of God. And so the people that God used as mediators between him and his people were priests. And so God chose this specific group of people. Uh, He anointed them with oil. He set them aside. And he said, your duty, your job is to represent the people to me. And it is only you that will come close, not the people. So we read in Exodus 29. It says, now this, sorry, it says, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. And so here began what is known as the Levitical priesthood. Began with Aaron and went on through the line of Aaron and Levi. 
Aaron, the mother, the brother of Moses. And so from there on, God was setting aside the specific group of people that he had anointed, that he had chosen to represent the people before God. And it was really detailed, as I said. We're not going to look at that in full detail this morning, but God had rules about the way they would dress um, and about the way they would sacrifice, what types of animals they would use, how often they would do it, um, specifically how they would sacrifice those animals to God to atone for the sins of the people. And they would go into the tabernacle, later the temple, to do that, to come before the presence of God. And it's only the priests that were allowed to do that. It's only them that were allowed to offer these sacrifices and these offerings. And even then, I'm sure we, we know this, that within the tabernacle there was another section, an inner section called the most holy place. It was screened off by a curtain. And this place only the high priest could go into. And he could only go in once a year, just once a year again, to atone for the sins of the people. Now, the message here, and in the message in all of that detail that God describes, is this. This is a temporary solution. Yes, it's detailed, and yes, it's specific, because it's God we're dealing with. So God is is purposeful and deliberate, even in temporary things. But it was a temporary solution. As a temporary measure, God said, I will get a priest the specific line of people to represent the people before God. And so that gets us on to more of what their purpose was. And I think their purpose was twofold. Firstly, it was to do these day-to-day duties, which we'll we'll look at more in a bit of detail in a moment. So it was to do these day-to-day duties of offering sacrifices, atoning for the sins of the people before God. But also, secondly... Just as we reminded last week with the prophet, their second role was to be a shadow or a type or a representation of the perfect priest that was to come, the perfect mediator, one who would not be temporary, one who would once and for all atone for the sins of the people. But firstly, let's look at their purpose just in in a bit more detail in terms of what they did on a day-to-day basis. In Exodus 29:42 it says there I will meet with the people of Israel this is God speaking and it shall be sanctified by my glory I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their god Leviticus chapter 9, verse 7. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So the role of the priest was to daily offer sacrifices to God to atone for the sins of the people. And they had other than specific days and specific times of the year where they had to do more, uh, offer different types of sacrifice in different ways, but all of it was atoning for the sins of the people. It was appeasing or paying for their sins before God. And I mentioned also that there was the high priest, and his role was once a year, amongst other things, to go into this most holy place, this inner section, 
divided by the curtain. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the symbol of God's very presence. And in Leviticus 16, we read, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement shall be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. Why is it that the priests had to offer sacrifices daily for the people and for their sins? It's because they sinned every day, isn't it? In fact, I'm sure as soon as the priest offered a sacrifice, how long do you think it took for them to sin? Was it hours? Was it days? Was it minutes? Was it literally, oh, thankfully, this sacrifice is done. Can we get back to what we were doing? Sin. (laughs) Straight away, the people were constantly sinning against God. So these sacrifices were constantly needed. So we're beginning to get a picture of the purpose of the priest. It was to represent the people before God to atone for their sins. Now, before we get on to their second purpose, this purpose of being a shadow or a type of what was to come, which was Jesus, I need to do a bit of a sidebar. And uh, it kind of sweeps in um, to this sermon, but it also sweeps into God's word. And that's... uh, this man, this character called Melchizedek. So I just want to briefly mention him um, because he's mentioned in Hebrews, he's mentioned in Genesis, he's mentioned in the Psalms in relation, in the context of priesthood. So I don't want to to skip over it, but equally I don't want to uh, get bogged down in it because he was a a somewhat unusual character. And we read in in Hebrews 7, it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? So the account of Melchizedek is recorded in Genesis chapter 14. He's actually the first mention of a priest in the Bible. And just to confuse us, he's not from the Israelite people. Abraham actually comes across him. Abraham has been to battle. He's been to try and rescue his nephew, Lot. He succeeded. He's uh, succeeded in battle. And then he comes across this man, Melchizedek, who's described as being both a king and priest of God most high. And when Abraham met him, something really interesting happened. Abraham, this great father of the people of Israel, of Israel, when he met Melchizedek, it was actually Abraham gave a tent, a tide, of all of his plunder from the battle to Melchizedek. And it was actually Melchizedek that blessed Abraham, not the other way around. Now this is, uh, there's a lot more depth to it, but what we're told from Scripture, what we're told from Hebrews in relation to Melchizedek is that it showed that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. 
Because Abraham made a tithe to him, an offering to him, Melchizedek was the one who was superior to him. He's an unusual character because there's no mention of his uh, lineage, his mother or father. There's very little told about him, about the rest of his life. And so he is there, he serves as another shadow, a representation of the Christ Jesus who is to come. He represents Jesus in that he had an independent, royal, and unique priesthood. What I mean by that is that he was outside of the direct line of the priests, of the line of Aaron, of of the line of Levi. Jesus was the same. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, not Levi. What this means is that Jesus was not bound by the law that bound the Levitical priesthood. That might all seem very complicated, and that's why I don't want us to get bogged down in it. But the basic message from Scripture is that God provided one who was not bound by this system of laws, by this temporary measure that he had put in place. Jesus was outside of that. He was so much greater, so much better than this temporary solution. And Melchizedek is there in Scripture as a representation, as a picture of that in the Old Testament, of what Jesus would be, of the possibility of this one coming who would be outside of that line, a perfect high priest. And Jesus did what Melchizedek and Aaron and all the other priests could not do. He became the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice so that the people of God could once again enter his presence for eternity. So following that little side note, I hope we're not too uh, confused by that. We can go read more ourselves about that in Scripture. The second purpose I want us to get to was, so the priest served day to day, atoning for the sins of the people. And secondly, their purpose was to act as a shadow or a type of what was to come, the perfect priest. See, the reason for that is that the work of the priest was never finished. It was never done. As we said, the reason they had to come daily and offer sacrifices daily is because the people kept on sinning. And the priest could not stop that. And the priest could not cover for that before God. In Hebrews 10, our our passage in verse 11, we read that the priests were never able to sit down because their work was never done. It was this image that they could not rest, they could not stop, they could not finish because their work was not finished. This reminds me of gardening. That might be a strange thing that comes to mind when you think of this, but my dad is a gardener. And for many summers, uh, a few years ago, I used to work with him during the summer. And I loved the work, even though it was brutal, tough work at times. But I loved it because I loved working with my dad, and I loved the satisfaction you get at the end of a, of a day's work. You see how you've cleaned up and made this garden nice. But what I noticed as I was going around my dad, we had mainly the same customers, so you'd be going around and you might be going to the same person every 10 days or two weeks, and you'd be cutting these huge lawns and you'd be trimming these massive hedges and you'd be sweeping these huge driveways. And what you'd realize is that week after week, you were doing the same work. In fact, sometimes I'd come back and it would just be ingrained in my head. I've done this. How many times have I done this grass this summer? 
time after time after time. And you would know, even though you get satisfaction in the work, you would know I'm going to be back here two weeks later. In fact, if you've ever seen a garden, if you left it for four, six months with no one touching it, it would look like a gardener has never set foot in there. The grass grows, the weeds come in, the thorns take over. The work of the gardener is never done. And that's the image we're getting here with the priest. Their work is never done. Because the people kept on sinning and they could not fix that. And so they served as a shadow of the perfect priest to come because not only was their work never done and they could never cover sin once for all, but also they themselves were not perfect mediators. They themselves were sinful people. And they often failed. I'd love if we could take the time to look at some of their failings to, because they are named and shamed in Scripture. Their failings to show that they were not perfect. Do you remember Aaron and the golden calf? This horrific account of Moses is literally up the mountain meeting with God and Aaron below, the one who's meant to be representing the people for God, is creating a false idol for them. A false idol for them to worship. And also, not only was their work never done and they were not perfect, but also there was the small matter of death. You see, the priests were just men. So they died. They lived, they served their time, and they died. Now, in fact, there was actually a cap in terms of age of how long they would serve. But even if they didn't reach that age, many of them would die. And so the priests, the image there throughout the Old Testament is that they could not conquer sin once and for all, but they could also not conquer death. They could not be this perfect mediator. And so God, through these shadows, was showing his people a very clear message. He was showing them this is temporary. This is temporary. Someone greater is coming. And that was one of the main points of the priests, just like the prophet. It was showing someone greater is coming. And they were pointing towards the Messiah, the Hebrew word for Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, God amongst us. And so throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of this perfect priest who would come. In Isaiah 61, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Remember the anointing with the oil like the priest's? To bring good news to the poor. And this passage prophesied, it spoke ahead of the one who would come that God would anoint. And Jesus revealed himself to be this anointed one when he stood up in the synagogue and he read from the scriptures this exact passage. Jesus stood up and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus said, I am this anointed one. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. This was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Unto us this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, Christ, the anointed one, God with us. 
And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very purpose of the Gospels was to speak of the promised one who would come, was to say, he has come. This was speaking, again, remembering the time we're in now, but this was written at the time to the people at the time who, would still, who were still looking at these shadows, who were still looking at the one to come. And so the Gospels were saying, stop looking. He has come. He is here. Jesus, the, the real thing, is now here. Do you remember John the Baptist, himself this great shadow, the one who was pointing forward saying, I'm not the one you're looking for. It is him. It is Jesus. There's one coming who is so much greater than me. In John 1, it says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, that perfect sacrifice. That perfect sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled this when he sacrificed himself. We read in Hebrews 9, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, even though the great, then true, the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus became this perfect high priest and this perfect sacrifice for sin. He could only do that because he was fully God and fully man. No other priest, no other person could do that, could fill that role. And so as we come forward into the New Testament to the birth of Jesus we see that God has taken the the role of the priest that he established in Israel's history back in the past, and he weaves that into this glorious, perfect revelation of himself. His representation of God amongst men, which is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who had come to dwell with us. So let's return to Hebrews chapter 10 as we look at what then changed when Jesus came. What changed when Jesus came? Well, as was read to us earlier in Hebrews 10, this passage speaks of how the law and that old covenant system of priesthood was but a shadow. It was but an example, a temporary measure, and it could never make perfect those who drew near. Those who made their sacrifice and their offerings, it was never going to be enough to permanently cover their sin. But we read in verse 5, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And a bit further on, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Well, what was that will? It says in, in verse 10, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. No longer a daily ritual. No longer once a year entering into the holy place. Christ, once for all, made a way for us to come to God. Earlier on in Hebrews 4, 
We read, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus is so much better than the Levitical priesthood, than the old system, for so many reasons, but some of them are he faced the full weight of sin, the full weight of temptation, suffering that we cannot imagine. And yet he came true. Yet he was without sin. He came true. Also, he did not fail. He overcame death. So like those old priests who lived and served and died, Jesus overcame death. He died and rose again, atoning for our sins once and for all. We read in Luke 23, you know that image where, where the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's this image of Jesus has made a way for us to enter true we are no longer separated from god because he was the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice for sins he's so much better than a levitical priest because his work is done it is finished there's this beautiful incredible image in hebrews 10 verse 12 it says but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ sat down. Remember that image of the priest, that exhausting image of they can't sit down because their work is never done? Jesus sat down at the right hand of God because his work is done. He doesn't need to get back up on the cross again. He's not there. And he's not in the tomb because he is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God. He, he was not just the perfect priest, but the perfect sacrifice. So what changed when Jesus came? Well, everything changed is the simple answer, isn't it? Everything changed. We're no longer living under this old system, this complicated temporary system. And so what does this mean for us finally? What does this mean for us this morning? For us as Christians? Well, it means that Jesus, the perfect priest, has come. He's here. There's no more waiting. No more living under that old system. So we need to stop looking at that old system. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the only mediator we need between us and God. I don't even need to get into then a discussion about what it is, when you, what you think of when you think of the word priest. Because the message from Scripture is clear. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
No more priests. No more of that system is needed. We can come directly to God through his son, Jesus. The question for us, the obvious question that brings us to is, is he your high priest? Is he your high priest? Or are you still looking at the shadows? Are you still distracted by the old system? Or are you even looking at something different? Something as dangerous as yourself to, to make yourself righteous, to gain access to God. It is very clear from Scripture that the only way to God is through His Son, Jesus. It's not through anything we do. It's not through anything that anyone else does. No one else can save you. No priest, no preacher, no one but God alone. And he sits at the right hand of God until he returns on that final day. So scripture speaks of this day when Jesus will return. And he will have this complete and final visible victory over sin and death. He's already had it, but it will be visible. Not only to us as believers, but to everyone. Everyone will see that he has conquered sin and death. But will he know you on that day? Or will you be a stranger to him? The challenge for us is to trust in him, to come close to him. He has made that possible. Why wouldn't we want that? Jesus Christ became both the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice for sin. For what reason? So that we, his people, might enter the presence of God for eternity. I want to close by reading from Hebrews 10, verse 19 down to 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father God, I thank you and I praise you that you provided your son Jesus, our perfect high priest, our perfect sacrifice for sin, so that we, God, can come close to you. We can come into your presence for eternity, God. Father, what hope would we have under that old system? Daily offering sacrifices? Daily trying to atone for our sins? True men who themselves were not perfect. Oh God, I thank you and praise you that you provided Jesus. And that you had this plan from the beginning of time. And you brought it about. That Jesus has come. We are no longer looking. And much more than that, God, through the Holy Spirit, you, your very presence is with us. You are our comforter. 
wherever we are, in whatever place. We don't need to enter any temple. We don't need to go through any curtain. We don't need to offer any animal or sprinkling of blood. We can come directly to you, God, in our weakness, God. Father, I pray that each one here would know you to be their God, that they would know Jesus to be their great high priest. That they would stop looking at shadows or imitations or resting on their own abilities, God. That they would humble themselves before you and say, I need this, Jesus. My sin is so great. My weakness is so great. I need this Jesus. Father, I pray that each one leaving here this morning would have a very clear image of Jesus as our great high priest, the only priest we need to know. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for how it speaks to us, your people. In the name of Jesus, your son, the great high priest. Amen.